This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Hanem. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we're coming on to the air today with devastating news from uh, Turkey and the border with Syria. As at the time of uh, our show today, close to 3,000 uh, Syrians and Turks have, have perished that we know of. And the WHO has just announced that that rate could go up by eight to nine times. So we're talking about 24 to 30,000 people dying from a 7.8 to 7.9 earthquake in uh, in Turkey at the border with Syria. It's just going to be devastating. So we'll we'll follow that story, obviously. But I think it's important that uh, we we acknowledge that we're paying attention to it. It's absolutely devastating. Uh, for the people of that area. In addition to that, we, we're going to be talking about a lot of really amazing things today, really important stories, including the what I call the hypocrisy of the, of the century, Israelis demonstrating to, quote, restore democracy. We put that in air quotes because, in fact, and in reality, Israel has never been a democracy. They've always been an apartheid state. And now a far-right settler leader who's become the minister of the Knesset under the law to expand the size of government, Zevi Sukkot. Member of the Knesset. Member of the Knesset. His uh, resident of the Yetzhar settlement in the West Bank. This, this, this terrorist is well known even to the Israeli security services of stoking and creating and actually orchestrating and executing violent attacks against Palestinian civilians. He's he's an MK now, and now a member of the Knesset. But before we get to those stories, we've been following the attacks on Palestinians uh, in the academy here in the United States for a long time. And now Dr. Lada Sheehy, who's the professor of clinical psychology at George Washington University, recently gave, you know, part of her class was talking about diversity. And in the course of talking about diversity in her class, she was accused by three uh, pro-Israeli students as being anti-Semitic. You know, George Washington uh, University unfortunately succumbed to the pressure. They've hired an outside third party to investigate it. It's a complete sham. It's a complete joke. But you did a great interview with Dr. Sheehy, and we'll be listening to that today, too. That's right, uh, Jess. And I should just add that the university did its own internal investigation, vindicating Dr. Sheehy, but then they succumbed, you know, to external pressure to hire a third party to conduct a university. Let's, let's I mean, just hope that isn't the an investigation. Let's just hope it's not the ADL that's that they've hired to undo this investigation into Dr. Sheehy, because that, that's, that's typically what happens, right? They do their own investigation. They're not, the pro-Israel forces are not happy with it. Then they hire the ADL. So we'll we'll see, but it's still a wonderful interview. Yeah, let's watch uh, uh, the interview first. Scholarship and discussions about Palestine are increasingly targeted by sensationalist, inaccurate, hate-inciting accusations by a stable of pro-Zionist organizations committed to muzzling free speech in academia. Speech about the ugly reality of Israel's sanctioning of apartheid and violence against the indigenous Palestinians. 
On January 11th of this year, Stand With Us, a right-wing pro-Israel advocacy group, filed a Title VI complaint with the U.S. Department of Education against the George Washington University psychology professor, Laura Sheehy. Although charges of any discrimination towards students by Dr. Sheehy were dismissed in the fall following a thorough inter-university review, in an exceptional decision, GWU agreed to undertake an outside investigation. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Dr. Lara Sheehy. Dr. Sheehy is a professor of clinical psychology at George Washington University's Columbian College of Arts and Sciences. She is the president-elect of the Society for Psychoanalysis and Psychoanalytic Psychology and is the co-author of the book Psychoanalysis Under Occupation, Practicing Resistance in Palestine, released in 2022. Welcome to Arab Talk, Dr. Sheehy. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you for having me. And for our, our uh, Arab listeners that come in, the last name is Shiha, so it's a little easier on the tongue than the Anglo version of it. <laughs> That's right. So I'd, I'd like you to unpack this incident from the beginning. Uh, tell us the context of where these accusations of anti-Semitism towards you arose from. Sure, of course. Well, let me start by saying that um, this is not new to us as scholars um, who take up the issue of Palestine. And what I will start with is a categorical rejection of myself being characterized as anti-Semitic and also the unwielding and sort of unbelievable burden, particularly on Arabs and people who talk about Palestine, to prove that they are anti-Semitic as a, as a precursor to anything that we do. And so that would be the starting point for me, right? And this is what has unfolded in the course of a month in the public eye, but certainly prior to that at GW. And I think this is the biggest, the really important thing for all of us to take in mind is that because of my Arab identity, because my scholarship is about Palestine, even before anything was lodged by Stand With Us, which, as you mentioned, is a right-wing pro-Israel advocacy group, that the burden is always and the task is always on me to prove that I'm not anti-Semitic as a position, as a sort of entry into any conversation. So that is where I would start. Um, what Stand With Us sort of whipped up by releasing this to the uh, right-wing media source, I got an email before it was even filed with the Department of Education, uh, the the tight the complaint is against George Washington University, but as they are known to do, they redacted everybody's name except mine, which is very commonplace. And of course, that is all that needed to happen so that the right wing frenzy sort of takes it up. And their their hope is that it would land in Fox News, which it recently has, which is just categorically and strat you know it's a different stratosphere of abuse and Islamophobia that comes with that. But the basis of this is, you know, a complaint filed uh, by a handful of students who were in a non-mandatory co- um, uh, brown bag, um, and they were taking a class of mine that is a, it's called diversity, but it talks about uh, the structural ways in which issues of biases and white supremacy sort of are lodged inside of us. These are doctoral students and clinical psychologists in training. They are not lay people. Just to, uh, just to clarify quick, quickly, this was a non-required brown bag seminar uh, presented by a highly esteemed professor, Nadira Shalhub Kivorkian, right. uh, the Lawrence DBL chair in law at the Hebrew University. Isn't that correct? Correct. That, yes. 
And so these two things are linked together in the complaint. Of course, doing a sort of retroactive reading of my classes being anti-Semitic, but really the start of this is this non-mandatory brown bag that we held off of campus and that the students were not required to come to. And Nadira, of course, Professor Shalhub Kavarkian being somebody who's highly esteemed in the field and coming to talk to clinicians. And that's why this idea about psychology students is really important. What stands out about this case is that clinicians have an ethical duty to take up these issues. These are not just, let's say, undergraduates who are being forced to think about these things. This is an actually an ethical promise and commitment you make, becoming a psychologist, to take these issues up. Our Arab students are regularly asked if they can work with Jewish patients. A discriminatory statement up front, which goes back to what I had said at the beginning, that our task is always to prove ahead of time right? Just to say how regularized these types of discriminatory attitudes are in our field. The same ask is never asked, of course, of our Jewish students, nor would I stand for that because that is discriminatory to ask somebody up front if that's the case. So my class is actually taking up these issues and training clinicians about our ethical duties, about how to take... Nadira's talk brought that in. So, 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 after, so, so I'm, I'm just trying to sure. kind of explain afterwards your class discussed the seminar. Yes. I mean, how did, how did the discussion unfold? What was the discrimination perceived uh, by the Jewish students who later complained? So there were uh, three Jewish students particularly who were concerned about uh, the criticism of Israel in Dr. Shalhub Kavrukian's speech. And came to class, and as I and do, this is someone just to clarify again, this yes. is someone who lives, correct in in Israel, correct, and it is is an Israeli citizen. That's right, right. Uh, I don't. The complaint doesn't mention this, and the students don't mention this. And part of that, I think, is not only on purpose. Of course, Sand with Us knows that Doctor uh, Pro- Professor Shalhub Kavrukian is an Israeli citizen, but it doesn't match their narrative to say that the democratic state of Israel doesn't allow its own citizens to criticize the state, right? So it doesn't match that. My students, I'm not sure if they knew or not, but it does show a sort of uh, a collapse that somehow a Palestinian scholar can also not be an Israeli citizen, a sort of racist undertone about she must be a terrorist, which is what was said that day. An esteemed colleague was called a terrorist. Who's a professor at the Hebrew University. Correct, in my classroom. Um, the, the class started out as all my classes do. I invite my students to talk about what is happening in the world and in their lives as a way of showing them ethically that as clinicians, we can't separate what's happening in the world from what happens in our clinic and what people bring into us. So we practice together. What does it mean to be global citizens of the world? What does it mean to be clinicians who are aware of what is happening around the world? So it, this is not, it was, this was a classroom just like any other. And one by one, uh, three students specifically spoke up about their concerns about the non-mandatory brown bag and their concerns about Do- Professor Shalhub Kavrukian's position that Israel aid, which she compared to U.S. aid as being a sort of propaganda arm um, and our responsibility as clinical psychologists, not to what she called mental health wash state projects, no matter who the state is. Um, these students, 
at first started off with, you know, uh, trying to relay their concerns about growing anti-Semitism in the world and in this country, a position that, of course, was a no-brainer for me to side with them about. Of course, that is left out of the complaint as well. All of us know uh, uh, that anti-Semitism is alive and well. The neo-fascist turn in the United States is very concerning about that. This is something I regularly talk about in my classroom. But it took a turn, and it took a very dark turn. And it took a turn that is unacceptable for clinicians in training who have an ethical duty to not engage in racism, in homophobia, in queerphobia, and anything that we might be concerned about a clinical psychologist saying. And it took a turn quickly from concerns about anti-Semitism, which are near and dear to my heart, towards blatant racism towards Arabs, towards Palestinians. One student saying, "I after hearing that lady speaking about Professor Sherhub Kavrikian speak, I know for certain that she would readily dance on the grave of my seven-year-old niece. So what is the normal process uh, taken by GW when such a complaint, uh, complaint is brought to its attention? Right. So one of the things that happened after this class is I immediately alerted my director to this. Part of it is because it was sustained. It was an hour and a half that kept escalating, right? With students also, for example, making statements like, um, we would never ask Kanye West or Candace Owens to speak for the black community. So why are we speaking about fringe Jewish folks who don't believe that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism? So it really became very intent and engaged in anti-blackness and anti-Arabness. So I reached out to my director immediately just to give him a heads up about did, what was did, happening. Did, did you feel that this was orchestrated, uh, you know, planned in advance, like like just by knowing that you're inviting uh, Dr. Shalhoub and, 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 you know, stand with us or Hillel or other uh, Zionist organizations on campus decided to to make sure that these uh, students kind of uh, disrupted this. uh... It's a great question. It's crossed my mind in retrospect. At the time, I truly didn't. I took it as a good faith uh, position that students are activated by something. I took it upon myself as a good faith to respond to that. But the talking points over the next three, three weeks to then months became very much talking points that we are aware of Hasbara talking points, as we might say, coordinated. Um, it's it's recently come out that one of these students was an intern with Stand With Us. And so the, in, in hindsight, I look back and I say, maybe that was part of it. The talking points certainly were co- coordinated that day, students reading off of prepared speeches. I just assumed students were activated, and so we're trying to work through it. But you can't help but wonder now. Right. Um, it's not. It's not. It's not that it didn't happen before. We've we've right. seen it happen on other college campuses. So back to the question: What is the normal process taken by right. GW when such a complaint is brought to its attention? Do right. they do they actually go to an outside uh, group, or is this no. done internally? No. And this is what is so egregious and such bad faith. The level of bad faith of this complaint is so apparent when we can go back, and I have months and months and months of documentation that show this, that GW, both on a programmatic level and on the dean's level, went above and beyond what they actually do to take this seriously and have found me without fault. 
So to turn around and get a third party, this is just absolutely setting a precedent around academic freedom. But on, in general, programmatically, one of the things we've been working on really hard at GW is that uh, this non-punitive remediation process that we put students on is a way to allow, because they're clinical psychologists, they have to be able to make mistakes. And we've been trying to do a process that is non-punitive to walk them through the very real issues they might come up with that get complicated by our personal identifications, which is right. what we were talking about in class. What happened then was rather than immediately, this usually, again, is a no-brainer in our faculty meetings. If a student usually students of color are put on remediation much, fa much faster. We understand what that means structurally, and we've been working to remediate that as, as a program. But usually this is pro forma. We usually talk as a faculty. In fact, my faculty, my colleagues were horrified at what had happened, especially in terms of calling an esteemed colleague that was invited by the department, um, a terrorist. Everybody said this is unacceptable. Even despite that, there were months of conversations, months of deliberation. There was also the things that I couldn't have space to document in my, my own narrative is the level of discriminatory behavior that was towards me by the program, especially things that were asked of me that have never been asked before. For example, my director sitting in my class with me, uh, other faculty members coming to surveil me, uh, other wow. people reading uh, my assignments. Anybody who's in academia understands what that means in terms of the integrity of a classroom and also what that means when it's precedent setting. And I have emails upon emails documenting with my director and the deans about how that is a targeted discriminatory ask of me politically, ethnically, and racially as the only Arab on that faculty to also be asked to be surveilled, we don't have to go very far to know where that. I, I comes listen. From. I, I I cannot say that I am shocked, which I should be shocked. But right. we've seen this before. I mean, by agreeing, you know, an additional investigation by investigating you. Uh, I don't know if they've asked you to show your financial spending, but we've seen we've we've seen this happening before by interviewing other professors, such as in particular Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, uh, right right here, right. So uh, this deviation from the normal process by GW is one of the key grievances cited by ADC, the Arab American Anti Discrimination Committee, who's defending your case, isn't it? Yes, correct. They are. And and they, you know, like you're saying right now, they were both shocked and also not surprised because they have heard so many stories, especially coming out from GW. There was actually a piece today written by a student that mentions all the cases. I, I, I was going to ask you about this later on because I, yeah. I just I read it a few minutes ago and, and it goes way back to 2015 and, and, and the cases, uh, case after case of not Correct. only uh, harassment of uh, professors, but also students. Yes, students. And as just as a reminder, I was a graduate student at GW. So this idea of the hostile environment that this campus has towards Arabs, particularly, and Palestine being at the center of that is not new to me. This was not. An, so I immediately felt what was happening. I also happen to be a psychologist and I work with how these systems come together. Power comes together to isolate the most vulnerable voices. And that's what I kept alerting the university. I filed a 
DEI bias incident report with the university. It was not responded to. I have a colleague who who filed an incident report after I was targeted by another colleague of mine. That was not responded to. So what was responded to was a complaint of two students who themselves aggressed against other students. They even went out of their way to hire an outside consultant and expend money during the time of COVID where all universities are shrinking their belts. All of a sudden, they had enough money to hire an outside consultant to attend to these issues, to allow students to talk about their feelings. And all of this, that's what I'm talking about, the bad faith of this. A reminder here that my class is zero credit. And what zero credit means is there's no effect on a GPA. Well, tell us about your course you teach and what its objectives uh, are. Sure. The complaint uh, wrongfully says that objectives are to train clinicians to see biases that their patients bring in. That is not my concern as a clinician training ethical clinicians. My objectives actually are to trouble our own identifications. All of us live within systems based on our identities, our geographical locations. And so my students alongside with me go through a process of troubling their identifications politically, uh, ethnically, racially. And that's something that all my students have to do, which is another thing that their complaint says that I reserve this just for Israeli and Jewish students. Just to clarify, the syllabus nor the course is Palestine-specific. Isn't that right? Absolutely not. There are no Palestine-specific readings. In fact, one of the things that one, a, a talking point that one of the students brought in is a reading that's not even on my syllabus. And they use that in class, in the second class they disrupted to say that I target Jewish students by citing a reading that's not even on my syllabus, which is another citation that a colleague of mine ended up making showing a coordinated effort between colleagues and students to derail my process, to derail my class, and to retroactively set this narrative that I, from the beginning of class, have been anti-Semitic and targeting Jewish students, which is categorically incorrect. And students who were in that class have signed a letter of support saying this is a willful misrepresentation of facts. I have to say, this is part of, uh, you know, the methodology that stand with us and other organizations, uh, Zionist organizations practiced by smearing, attacking, falsifying, and putting you on the defensive. And then you have to prove yourself, you know, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent, and then spend time and resources. So uh, you think that JW could easily refute the claims by stand with us, yet... Uh, they remain silent uh, and are not standing with you. Explain. Yes. Uh, they have a electronic paper trail that goes back to October and uh, information from eye- eyewitness accounts from other students that easily refute every single point in that complaint. So rather than set a precedent and go and work faster than the Department of Education by hiring this third party investigator, they could have easily just said, we will wait on investigator or if with with a noble cause, say, we have ample documentation that says this is categorically incorrect, which they do. They have not done either. And in the process, they have completely isolated me, iced me out. I have not heard from anybody 
at uni- at the university about these doxing attempts, which have happened towards me, these threats against my life. I've heard nothing in response to the countless letters from across the world that have been sent to the university uh, administration. There's no communication whatsoever. And in fact, they're treating this like a lawsuit when it's not. It's a complaint that has yet to be adjudicated, but they're treating it like a lawsuit. And so they're speaking, they're saying nothing to anybody. Because, because they're expecting a lawsuit. I, I mean, in their mind. You recently wrote an article in Counterpunch on targeting uh, an Arab woman where you deconstruct how stand with us and similar organizations uh, were to delegitimize scholarship around Palestine, in this case, by harnessing the far-right media to launch inaccurate accusations and whip up vitriol and hate against its targets. For example, in this case, printing the complaint with, as you mentioned, with all the names, but your own, but your own redacted, right? Uh, talk about this tactic, uh, you know, which, again, I have to remind our um, viewers and listeners that uh, this is really very similar in what we saw with Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi at uh, San Francisco State University with posters targeting professors and calling out students and so on. Right. Absolutely. And I just want to say that the level of support from professors who have had this happen to them before with me has been unbelievable. And it's because they know the pattern and they've been on the receiving end of it. So the tactic is in some ways very crass, right? What they do is they rely on, I'm somebody who works with the unconscious. So this is not a very big step for me. They rely on the anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian and Islamophobic uh, tropes that are already available in the public eye to whip itself up by itself. You don't really have to do much, right? The other thing they rely on is the way in which anecdotal information becomes fact in the public mm-hmm. eye. And they do so at a time when their their attempt is to catch the person on their back foot before they can even speak. So within five days, my professional organizations, psychoanalysts and psychologists are speaking about me on all these different listservs and treating me as guilty, largely, and being concerned about this. And Stand With Us does this knowing it's a well-oiled machine. This is not a conspiracy. The other thing that is had is that, you know, a counter letter by the likes of Carrie Nelson, who we know is very well known for targeting people, writing that this idea that we talk about stand with us as a right wing organization, despite the fact that this has been countlessly enumerated by by organizations, that this evokes a longstanding anti-Semitic trope of Jewish conspiracy. I want to say without a categorically There is no conspiracy in this. This is just a targeted campaign, a very well-oiled machine that knows how best to exploit the political climate of the United States today to get its aim. It's For me, I think they also might have seen assistant professor. We all know that that is an easier target, quote unquote. I'm a woman. The level of sexism and violence that has come my way because of this, it all, it, it makes it easy. I was going to talk about this next. And of course, this is a high level of coordination. You know, I mean, we we know how the way they feel because you've mentioned about the sexism. Do you think that part of the story is that Arab women in academia are targeted so relentlessly because they are devalued and do not receive the same support as 
non-minority women, especially in the current political uh, climate? Absolutely. One of the things I teach a course on victimology, and one of the things that we talk about is what makes a perfect victim, right? And so this is there's there are disciplines, entire fields that are dedicated to this. So we see in the public eye who rises to the level of defense and who doesn't. Arab women don't usually do that because, and this is the part of it. It doesn't matter when this is how sort of white supremacy works. It expands and contracts as needed. It doesn't matter that I'm white skinned. It doesn't matter about any of these things. The swiftness with which this closes down and the Islamophobia that happens and the racism shows us how these things work together in concert, including sexism. And so, yes, it is an easy target. The level of disciplining that has happened, both professionally and in the public eye, my partner, my husband, receiving emails telling him to, quote unquote, train your wife better. Wow. To tell her to shut her mouth. Wow. The abuse, the level of abuse, the, the, the threats of rape, forced deportation, firing, all of this is a confluence of things, both ra- racism and sexism, of course. And and, and the, the heart of that usually falls on the backs of brown, indigenous, and other women of color. I want to point out that you are uh, highly regarded in your field and, and that there has been an outpouring of support, which you've mentioned earlier, from students and, and alumni, from over 170 professional colleagues, uh, uh, many of whom are happen to be Jewish. How does this make you feel? I have been so moved by the level of support and solidarity, the willingness of people to vouch for my character and what they know of me, that standing up against anti-Semitism is part and parcel of my larger project to dismantle and disrupt any <laughs> oppressive forces, but especially within our field. I've, you know, I'm a, I'm a regular speaker in our field. I'm an educator. I sit on the board of many of our, our uh, organizations. So these positions also are not new. There's a long documented history of the things that I do, which, by the way, are incredibly demeaning. This is what also happens to pull people in to demean themselves, to list all the ways in which we have not been anti-Semitic and all the ways in which we, that is also demeaning and cheapening of all the ways that the documented history of the ways we have fought against these, these, uh, these methods of oppression across the board. So I have been moved. I have been humbled. And for me, as somebody who works in the field, I also see this as a watershed moment. This field has been working tirelessly, people across the globe, to really take seriously our charge to speak up against all forms of oppression. So to see people making the links, making the link between the silencing of Palestine, the silencing of an Arab woman, with what we see happening across the United States, for example, with these bills that are being passed and how psychologists are being pulled into that as well, for me, marks something very different. And so there's something also that's been generative. I'm not being cavalier about how scary it has been. But the the uh, feedback I've gotten from people is them saying, we see the links, 
this is the field and the world we want to fight for. Well, I mean, when one lays out Israel's human rights abuses uh, factually, perhaps students who consider themselves Zionists do find it upsetting. But these practices are upsetting. Yes. You can't make them go away unless they are stopped at the source. That's Isn't it. that the objective of bringing truth to light? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing more psychoanalytic than that, right? And to be able then to deal with the disruption that happens when we tell truth. This is very, Franz Fanon was the center of this. What do we mean when we tell truth constantly? When we give primary uh, light and oxygen to material realities, we don't have to forget historical atrocities for us to also tell the truth about current day realities especially in Palestine. Jewish Voice for Peace Healthcare Advisory Council wrote a, an urgent letter of support in my on my behalf saying these very things, saying that we understand how occupation and apartheid affects people's psychic functioning. That's why it's a question for psychology. That's why it's a question for psychoanalysis. This is not a separate issue. This is central to the work of us alleviating human suffering. And that's why we have to be involved in it. It's even beyond a political agenda, as has been said, it's our ethical duty. There's no way around it. You started to talk earlier about, and this is uh, fairly new, actually, it was published today, the GW Hatchet article. Yes. Uh, talking about a history of discrimination against Palestinians uh, going uh, as far as 2015. And you, you, I didn't know, actually, that you were, you were also yourself a student at GW. But your case is, do you think it's now bringing out, because I, I think most Palestinians, students and faculty members face discrimination silently until it gets picked up in the press or in the media. So yes. maybe do you think that your case now is going to make them speak against or speak out and, and, and share their stories? Yeah. What happened I, to them on campus? Are they sharing them with you, for example? I am. I've been getting hundreds of emails. And, you know, if this case does that, then I I think something, this is what I mean about the generativity of it. Nobody wants to be the sole target of an, a right-wing smear campaign. However, with the level of support I have gotten, if this allows also a place where people whose stories are not told for example, I've gotten emails from countless people from Germ Palestinians in Germany whose stories are never told, who are never allowed into academia because of their stance on Palestine. So they're not even in academia for this to happen, right? Or people in psychoanalytic institutes who have resigned from their anti-racism committees because the race anti-racism committees refuses to take a stance on this. I've gotten emails from students at GW, professors at GW, not only standing in solidarity because they know the machinery of power and how it sides with oppressive forces, but also because, you're, like you're saying, they've experienced this firsthand. Alumni from GW writing me and saying, we've always known the, the university to be a hostile environment for Arabs and Palestinians especially, but this speaks to all of us. There's something about this that is really landing on people viscerally, emotionally, and also, like you said before, we recognize the pattern. We know this. What do you see uh, or uh, what do you foresee happening mm -hmm. next? Right. Well, uh, the third party investigation is underway, uh, despite calls on the university to reverse its decision. 
because they have ample proof. And so uh, that will continue to unfold. I am, as I wrote in my piece, I am confident that GW's decision on this was because they are in, uh, they have all the information, but they failed to see what damage is done when they give light to something like this. So I think that's a, that that is the most immediate next step. But I think this, like Rabab's case, like any of the cases that we've seen for so many years, or my colleagues in, in Germany, this is a long-term issue. And I think there's something to be said about this watershed moment, both in terms of the fascist government in Israel right now, and the change in public opinion to see how clearly Palestinian rights are being ab- abdicated on every day. I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of maddening to know that this is happening when you have the most credible human rights organizations globally from Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the United Nations, Israel's own human rights organization, Beth Salem, all labeling Israel as an apartheid state. Yes, yes. And then when you have an invited Palestinian with an Israeli citizenship, yes. a professor at the Hebrew, Hebrew University come to campus to share her perspective from the ground, something that she personally experiences. She's an eyewitness to yes. say that she is an anti-Semite or, or by you inviting her, you are an anti-Semite. Exactly, of course. And But here's the clue for us. Two things that were said in class that day are really important for us to see. One, there was a support of Trump's position on the IHRA, which tells us everything we need to know. The second one is really important is that there's an active way in which Jewish folks themselves are being put under a litmus test currently to determine who's, quote unquote, a good Jewish person and who's, quote unquote, a bad Jewish person. And that is really concerning to us. That was said in my class, a determination about if you speak against Israel, you are categorically not speaking for Jewish folks. That is very concerning to me. When we start to get into who is a good Jewish person, who's a bad Jewish well, we, person. Well, I mean, you, we saw what happened to Kenneth Roth at, exactly. at, at Harvard University. Exactly. And exactly. luckily for him, because of his, uh, you know, visibility, he was able to reverse that decision. And Harvard, uh, the dean, had to eat his words. That's right. And I appreciate how Kenneth Roth also wrote, This was in many ways said this was easier for me because of my prominence. What I'm concerned about is everybody else who doesn't have this support. And that's what we're looking at. But I see this again. I'm seeing this on my professional listservs. The line in the sand that is being drawn is a very concerning one. And one, like you said, should be an easy one at this point when we have hundreds of thousands of people in the street, even in Israel, saying this is beyond the pale. You know? I want to end by uh, congratulating you on your newly released book. I mean, outside this maddening attack on you, 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 you published a, a great book, Psychoanalysis Under Occupation, Practicing Resistance in Palestine. This high level of research in this area is very much needed. I recommend it to our listeners and viewers. And and, and Dr. Lara Shiha, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate all the work that you all do in uplifting our voices. Well, that's the voice and the face of Dr. Lada Sheehy. She's a professor of clinical psychology at George Washington University, Columbian College of Arts and Sciences, discussing the attack that she's come under as, quote, being anti-Semitic because of a diversity course that she, you know, has been teaching there for many years now. Well, it's it's really not just the, the course. This is actually an unrequired uh, seminar, a brown bag seminar that she invited a guest uh, a professor from the Hebrew University who happens to be uh, Palestinian with an Israeli, we call him 1948 uh, Palestinians, uh, and but she's a professor at the Hebrew University. And it wasn't mandatory, you know, you, you know, attended the seminar and then you... Voluntary, had, you volunt- voluntarily yeah, attended. And then, and then you, then there was a discussion, Q&A and so forth. And uh, and when this is when the problem started, uh, because uh, you know accusations started lobbying against the guest lecturer. Very, uh, it's a renowned uh, lecturer, by the way, who came uh, to her class. <clears throat> and then uh, the complaint ensued. The university, as uh, we've mentioned before, and as we, as Doctor uh, Shiri mentioned in her interview. It did the thorough investigation, basically saying, you know, those charges are bogus. Of course, the Zionist organizations uh, led by Stand With Us, uh, you know, this uh, this group, um, well-known right-wing Zionist uh, organization. It's really a hate group, uh, attacks Palestinian academics, students, and so forth. And so they put the pressure and now the university is going outside the university. And, and this is, this is the, the joke. And you're going to find out maybe not the ADL investigating it, but it's a group probably recommended by Hillel or the ADL or whatever to, to try to force them to come with another conclusion. I mean, when you got right. investigated and they got investigated, including, by the way, colleagues sitting in her classrooms and so forth. Right into her work, which is humiliating in a way. After you know, here is this accomplished pro- professor at the university, and then now you become suspect. And and you know, just we had so many guests. You know, it's it's it's, it's the same chapter from from the same book. But, they start but, by attacking your character, lobbying uh, bogus uh, uh, accusations, defaming you. Uh, you know, without giving you the chance to even respond. But by the time you respond, you know, everybody starts looking at you differently. Like, oh, you've done, well, you committed but, this crime, you know. But that's exactly right, Jamal. And that's part of the tactic that the pro-Israel uh, uh, forces have been using in the academy for decades and decades. Now, we've been reporting on it for many, many years here. We've demonstrated multiple examples of it. But they have continued to fail more recently, I mean, I think that's the important thing. I mean, there was a wave, you know, and and we've talked talked about it with uh, like uh, Professor Stephen Salida, that was that was devastating. But outside of that one particular incident, these pro-Israel groups who again overextend, overreach, attacking academics, primarily Palestinian academics, for speaking about. What everybody in the world knows, Jamal, is an apartheid state, a settler colonial state. And it 
their tactic is when you speak this kind of truth, which has been identified by Human Rights Watch, identified by Amnesty, even by Israeli groups, have all identified Israel as being uh, an apartheid state and practicing apartheid. But when a Palestinian says it and says it in the academy, it's somehow anti-Semitic. Now, there's a really good chance that whoever this third party is will, will probably find no cause. But even if they do, it's going to be a complete and utter joke and a disrespect, not only to the professor, Professor Sheehy, but to George Washington University. We we should follow this very closely, Jamal. We we should we and we will obviously we're, we'll report on it because we're all curious to see who this third party is. Is it the ADL? Is it Stan with us? Who's going to do their own investigation? But it's a it's it's a complete joke. Well, you know, you have to look at the history of every single case. Uh, these accusations uh, have been bogus, and and the subjects in these matters were vindicated. Always, but it it comes at a major expense, as you as you know, just uh, financially, uh, emotionally, and so forth. I mean, even when we talk about the case of uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Salaita, the university had to settle and pay money. Of course, it devastated his career, but but he but lost his position. He lost his position, but they they pretty much they they when destroyed you settle, his career. When you settle a case, you admit wrongdoing. Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi uh, won a case against the Lawfare Project, which, uh, by the way, uh, another uh, major hit organization that uh, hired, uh, had at its disposal uh, hundreds of lawyers. Uh, and, and Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi won her case. Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi won against the university administration or the university, her colleagues in the right. uh, university senate. You and I talked about that, and she talked about that, not once, but twice. And then the university president, President Mahoney, vetoed, imagine, vetoed the findings of, of her the academic own, senate. I mean, yeah, the academic, academic senate. senate. I mean, this yeah, is, yeah. Go, went against what uh, her colleagues uh, found. And uh, I mean, uh, recently, of course, we had on this show uh, Kenneth Roth. He right. he 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 got uh, his uh, fellowship got reinstated without an explanation, some some bogus explanation uh, from from uh, from the dean uh, who basically said, "Oh, I have to listen to some important uh, people to me. Who are these important? <laughs> we know who are these important people to right. you." And and without coming with an explanation, I mean, and and the fact of the matter that he kind of pretty much won his case in public opinion didn't go exactly. to court. Won his because he's a celebrity of and he's not Pal and he's not Palestinian and he's not Palestinian. And and I I commend him and he talked about that and he said, you know, maybe I was able to to reverse their decision, but uh, a lot of Palestinian academics suffer from this. And this is the example. This is what happened to Dr. Laha. Lara Sheehy, and they basically like to but, isolate. And, but, and the but other, here's the th but here's the important th thing I just want to mention, oh, really yeah. just, is she said something very important, not only that they target Palestinians, in, in particular Arab Americans, but also women, right. and women of, uh, of color. Right. And this is an example of also who they try to go and isolate 
and go against. But they're going to be surprised because Palestinian women are, are stronger and, <laughs> and more powerful yeah, they, than Palestinian they, men, they and they'll fight a, back. Right. They, they've picked on the wrong people, as usual. But the thing that I want to say, Jamal, and this is the other side of it, which uh, is going to come and bite the bite them back, these pro-apartheid, pro-fascist, pro-Israel organizations like Stand With Us who are attacking everybody for being quite anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitism is, here's the problem, Jamal, anti-Semitism is a real problem. But like the story of the little boy who cried woof when there was no woof, pretty soon when people keep hearing these shouts and these complaints of anti-Semitism and there's no basis for it whatsoever, it's going to diminish uh, the 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 real anti-Semitism and the real threat that's out there. So and and it is it is it is really desecration to to the memory of those who really suffer. Un, yes. uh, under yes. anti-Semitism. And, right. and we know who are the anti-Semites. I mean, we see in the anti-Semites right here in the United States, marching They're in the everywhere. streets. Absolutely, man. There's a lot of them. And, you know, the, a lot of the MAGA crowd is anti-Semitic. But and, and they're going to the, go, but they're going to grow, go after Ilhan Omar. Yes. They're going to go against in, anyone who criticizes apartheid Israel. That's instead the of, instead of the real anti-Semites. Donald Trump and his crew and the MAGA crew who are the real anti-Semites. And that's why I say, Jamal, these pro-apartheid, pro-fascist, pro-Israel kind of groups are shooting themselves in the foot and they're desecrating. They're, they're really spoiling uh, the, the, the scourge of anti-Semitism that occurs among white supremacists. And rather than go after them, they're going after pro-Palestine voices throughout the United States. It's going to backfire, Jamal. We know it's going to backfire. We applaud Professor Sheehy, Dr. Sheehy, for her steadfastness and for her willingness to stand up to great against this, you know, at the cost to her emotionally, financially, whatever. It's it's a real hit. And we need to say that, like you said before, this really does affect people. I mean, the intent is to psychologically manipulate people so that they'll feel like they cannot say these things, criticize the apartheid state of Israel anymore and to keep it quiet. Well, breaking news, everybody, we're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. We're going to continue to call out the injustice of apartheid Israel. Uh, and it's getting stronger. I mean, we should say that, Jamal. The reason they're going after Dr. Lada Sheehy is because they're losing. That's right. They're, they're losing. Mean, meanwhile, just quickly, we have a few minutes left. Just uh, the media uh, here, um, you know, they're describing Israelis uh, that they are going out in the streets in Tel, Tel Aviv, demonstrating to restore democracy. Is it that hilarious? I mean, is it that a joke? You know, I mean, this is a time when every single organization, and you, you, you mentioned few of them, are saying that Israel is just a question. Just when, when, since when apartheid is democracy? I mean, apartheid is not democracy. Jamal. You know, and then I was thinking about it, and actually, South Africa, apartheid South Africa, used to market itself as democracy, they and did. and and this and right here in the United States until Ronald 
Reagan, he believed that South Africa held Western values and was a, a democracy. And then you get Israelis saying, well, this is part of the democracy. You know, we have multi-party system. South Africa had multi-party system. For white people. And they were still an apartheid state. So I I feel like this is really a joke. And then I I was reading the news then yesterday or early this morning. And then here we go again. The um, Netanyahu government, which has now, which is the worst government that Israel has ever had, with terrorists uh, serving as ministers. They now have uh, the far-right colonial settlers, V. Sukkot, who just got nominated to the Knesset under a law. This is, this is uh, uh, you know, he's uh, entered the Knesset as a lawmaker. Basically, after other lawmakers, religious Zionism, MK, and finance minister, who's another terrorist, uh, Minister Bezalel Smotrich, who calls for the expulsion of all all Arabs from from Palestine, uh, on Sunday there is a law called the so-called Norwegian law that permits cabinet members to resign their seats to allow them to focus their time on their ministerial responsibilities. But guess what? They hand over their seat to the next person on right. the party's uh, election slate. Right. So they're really packing, packing both the Knesset and the cabinet well, with, with, with these colonial settlers. They're terrorists, man. Some of them have blood on their hands or yeah, call yeah. for killing Palestinians and call for the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. And then they're telling us here in the media that uh, Israel is a democracy. Well, this is the biggest um, hypocrisy, Jamal, of of the mainstream media continue to referring to these protests as protests for democracy. They're not protests for democracy. They're really protests to preserve white supremacy and, and the apartheid state. They're afraid that the apartheid state will somehow be exposed. So they have to make sure that they're having, quote, democracy demonstrations. But let's not be fooled we're not fooled. Our listeners and viewers are not fooled. But unfortunately, a lot of people who are watching the mainstream media hear this without the full context and think, oh, Israelis really want democracy. What they're not seeing and hearing and fully appreciating is that they've never been a democracy. The state was founded on a lie. The state was founded on an ethnic cleansing. And the world is waking up to that. So I guess in terms of their Hasbara campaign, Unfortunately, Jamal, we have to say that it's kind of working because all of the mainstream media continues to say that these are democracy. Uh, except, except most people, especially young people, they don't watch the mainstream yeah. media. Yeah, yeah, thankfully. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.